we're doing what we want and they're recognizing it is is helping the environment right um to and get to get that third party recognition is always fun right um but they donated their entire facility to us which was uh, unbelievable from chardon performance therapy this is chardon biz a show about local entrepreneurs and innovators sharing their stories who are our people behind our favorite businesses Welcome listeners. This is your host of the Chardon Biz podcast, Dave Nelson, the owner of Chardon Performance Therapy. I'm here with Daryl Fleming Kendall of the Ox Shop and Broken Yoke Ranch. Welcome, Daryl. Thanks so much for having me. This is so exciting. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, same. Um, the, the way that we actually connected was up at the uh, family market at, at Chardon Square and, um, good friend up there, uh, Ed told me to walk on over and introduce myself because you had something really special going on. That's all he said. That was enough for me to walk on over to you, hear your story, and then decide like, yeah, this is something we need to get recorded. Um, Because there's actually an event coming up too that would be cool for our listeners to hear about and and possibly get involved with. Absolutely. Yeah. It was funny. I had talked to Ed about 10 minutes before you got to him. and I was just talking about sort of what our mission is with the store and what we've been doing with the farm. And of course, as you mentioned, the, the fundraising event we're doing with um, Brandon from, uh, Chef Brandon from Edwin's, uh, who was recently a, a James Beard finalist, which is so exciting to watch that whole journey with him as now that we have this connection. But I'd been talking to Ed and he was like, oh my gosh, you got to talk to Dave. And uh, within 10 minutes, he'd made the connection. It was like master networking. So it was really cool. That's how I actually was there kind of on a whim that particular Saturday. So that, that kind of worked out great. Um, let's start with kind of like the elevator pitch. I, um, like what you're involved with that way our listeners can understand like what the heck we're actually going to get into and talk about. Cause it's, it's more than just a farm stand of produce or meat that you have, um, curated on the farm and have available for sale. Yeah. So, uh, I'll start with Broken Yoke Ranch. We can, you know, that's there, there's a pretty, I, I, on the, I would say it's a pretty normal farm story, right? Uh, other than it started by accident and you can talk a little bit about that story, but we have uh, grass fed, grass finished beef that we raise and pastured pork and pastured poultry. Um, we do a lot of rotational grazing and, and things like that on the farm. Um, and we were selling wholesale, right? Whole, whole cow, half cow, quarter, stuff like that. And, um, you know, at the same time, my wife has a passion for um, helping individuals with disabilities. She had a sister, uh, with disabilities, um, and has made a career of it. Um, and we were sort of looking for something bigger to do more meaningful. I think something that we could really, you know, put our hearts into. Um, and conveniently the old feed store up in Thompson was up for sale and we decided, you know, what the heck we'll buy it and we'll, we'll sell our meat there. Right. Cause the government makes it real difficult. I can sell you a quarter of a cow. I can't sell you three steaks, right. Without having a sort of separate store. And so, we decided we'll, we'll buy it, we'll put a store in. And, and that sort of evolved and became um, a, a bigger part of our uh, mission, our dreams, right? And so the whole thing is now a 501c3. It's a charitable organization uh, where you can go in and you can buy local foods and stuff like that, but it's, a, it, it's bigger than that, right? Every dollar you spend either supports the person that produces what you bought or is supporting the mission of ours, which is to put adults with barriers to employment in meaningful, fairly compensating jobs in the local food sector. So 
you've got individuals with disabilities, you've got reentry issues, you've got kids coming out of the foster system, parents of, of kids with disabilities, all who have some struggle to find uh, work that is meaningful, dignified, and also fairly compensating, right? I mean, so many companies, um, and this is not a knock on those companies, I think their heart is in the right place, hire an adult with a disability and give them a broom and say, hey, can you sweep? Um, and either pay the minimum wage or, you know, are, they're on a, a, a program where they don't even need to get minimum wage. Um, and that's not what we're looking to do. This is a business model, right? I mean, these people can be very productive in the right situation. Um, and on the flip side, farms, as we know really well because of our experience, need people during peak seasons, right? And so um, if you think of an apple orchard, they need 10 people to pick apples from July to November. Um, and it's really hard to just find somebody, one person, let alone 10 people to do that. Um, and so what we're going to do is create something that looks like uh, a temp service, right, for farms where we take, you know, these folks. So, you know, they'll, they'll work for us full time and we'll find placements for them in local farms, right? And the nice thing with Joggy County is in the, the winter we've got and early spring, we've got maple syrup and there's lots of work to be done there on various farms. In the summer, we've got market gardens all over the place. We've got uh, orchards in the fall. And so really, you know, there's opportunity all year round to help farms find the labor that they need so that they can focus on growing their business and creating sustainability and things like that. I told Don, you know, with this model, um, I hope in five or 10 years, we're measuring our success on the number of people that come to us and say, I was able to quit my off the farm job and focus on what we're doing on the farm because of what you're doing. Because then on top of that, you know, with the store, and the produce market and the coffee shop that, that we've got at the, that with coffee shop and the produce market, we will have the store that we do have at the, um, the feed store. Now we have an outlet for them to sell their stuff to their neighbors without the burden, you know, the, the, the burden of the red tape from the government, right? We've done all that for them. They just have to bring it in and we'll sell it to, to the community. And, um, you know, again, all of that is as part of the fundraising mechanism so that we it's a really cool concept that my wife came up with. I take no, almost no credit for it, um, but it's really cool to be a part of. And I think it's it's huge for Northeast Geauga County, Northeast Ohio. Well, shout out to Don. I, I love the vision too. It is really, really cool. And there is a lot to unpack with that. So I think uh, if we could start with like kind of the, if we can give our, our listeners just a a visual of where where is this actually happening? Is it just on the Broken Yoke Ranch? Is it also on other farms as well? As it relates to um, helping uh, or finding the employment. Yeah. So right now we're we're in the very infant phases of growing this organization. Right. There's a lot that goes into scaling this up. You need staff to support those individuals. Staff to help train the farms on how to effectively uh, utilize the skills of those individuals that might. You know, when you're talking about um, working with neurodivergent uh, adults, right, it's it's easy to write that off um, and say, well, you know, there's just certain things they can't do. And that's just simply not true, right? They, there might be a way to present it or a way to help them succeed. Uh, because, for example, you know, and, and painting with a little bit of a broad brush, an adult with autism is really good at a repetitive task. And understanding safety rules, following safety rules, and staying on task, right? So if you give them a repetitive task and tell them what to do and, or, or you know, give them the work instructions, they're going to be 
more efficient at that job than their neurotypical peers on average. Uh, there's statistics that show that. They're also, you know, the turnover rate for those individuals is 20% versus 150% in their neuro, uh, neurotypical peers. So they're just really good at what they do if you put them in the right situation, right? And so having the staff to train the farmers, the, the farm owners or the venue owners or whatever on how to utilize those resources, those human resources effectively, um, is important. And then obviously transportation is a huge issue. And so that's, you know, these are all things that we're trying to develop now, um, through the fundraiser that's going to help us through raising money at the store, um, and eventually the coffee shop and produce market that will be there. Um, those are all really important. But right now, you know, we're sort of testing the model on our own farm, um, you know, with some of our, some of the folks that are helping us there and just seeing how we can tweak it and make it work and, um, figuring out you know, what is a, what does the program look like? How do we make it effective and taking, you know, the Edwin's model, right? So Brandon, uh, chef Brandon, who's going to do our, our fundraiser has mastered, um, almost won a James Beard award on it, um, has mastered this idea that, you know, with the right model, you can train almost anyone to be spectacular, right? And he's doing that with the reentry program that he has, um, formerly incarcerated individuals come to him six months training. And within six months, they're qualified to be sommeliers in the nicest restaurants in Ohio, right? Or chefs or line cooks or front of the house, whatever. He's just got this program mastered. And so we're doing a little bit of learning from him as well. Absolutely. So you, you talk about the program and, and what I'm what I'm hearing is a need to have some serious organizational skills, right? Because you're, you're trying to track some data. And th- this is something that yeah. like really hasn't been done in your space yeah. per se, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm curious, like what what have you seen within Edwin's model, by Brandon's model that yeah. he's put together that um that you've already tried or are looking forward to implementing? Yeah. So I would say there there are actually two models we're sort of following. because uh, as you mentioned, there there's not a lot of people looking at this and going, you know what, farmers need help and these people need jobs. Let's put them together and and create a local foods microeconomy, which is really what we're trying to do. Um but there are people who've said you know, there are folks out there who are really talented and that are untapped and unappreciated and you can put them to work. So Edwin's has a really great model. And then there's an organization called Blue Star Recycling out in Colorado that we've gotten very close with. And um, they have built the entire their entire electronics recycling program uh, around adults with autism. And um, you know, 75 or 80 percent of their workforce um, is on the spectrum and has some level of disability or whatever. And they are incredibly profitable. They do uh, a ton of business. And um, what we've seen in both cases is you have to take people that want to work, first of all, you know, and, and Bill from Blue Star, the first thing you said is in your, in your interview, ask the question, do you want to work? And if they say no, there's, that's, that's, that's a non-starter. That's a, that's a, right. that's a red flag. Sure. Um, the other one is rigidity, right? And not rigidity in the way, you know, like, uh, you know, you're not, you're not running a, a boot camp, mm-hmm. but you have to have rules and those rules have to be followed by everyone, right? Um, structure, right? Like you the, you in- have to have the structure, right? Because the minute you start flexing on those rules, right, then, you know, particularly in a situation like ours where we're looking at sending these folks out to other farms that maybe don't have as much skin in the game or stake um, in the the success of the organization, they just want their apples picked, right? Or they just want um, the weeds pulled out of the garden, you know, we just have to make sure that there's not mission creep in that. 
We have to make sure that with our employees, um, they're putting their best foot forward, right? That they're showing up ready to work, that they're showing up um, with the training that they need. And that's on us, right? So there's just a lot of rigidity that goes into it. And the other thing is, you know, when you're talking about, you know, individuals with various levels of developmental disabilities, um, schedule is important, right? And so making sure that, you know, the trains are running on time and that the expectations are set appropriately um, is really important. And so all of it comes back to just having those, you know, uh, work instructions, having those policies and procedures in place and making sure from top down, whether it's me and Don or whether it's our staff, whether it's the, the farmers that we're working with, everybody just has an understanding that for the for this to succeed, we all stick to the model that we built, right? And that's not to say we won't screw it up the first time or the first couple of times where, you know, we've learned very quickly that, uh, you know, mistakes are opportunities to improve, right? So you just get better after you screw it up once. Yep. That's actually how we started our conversation this morning. If you want to share that quick story, it's, it's a, it's a real life story. And it would also be good to know that, um, you know, one of the things that's like within your bio is that, um, uh, a lot of like larger farms are second, third, fourth, even fifth generation. Um, you know, you're familiar with, with Ben Sage and we had yeah. him on the podcast too. And his story is, is quite incredible. Um, and by the way, before we dive down that story, something you mentioned, you know, about like dip, ebbs and flows, like during the season is something I learned from, uh, from Ben was that, okay, in the off season, like the equipment needs to be serviced. Yeah. And like, what a cool idea to have someone who needs like that, that flexible kind of work schedule and also like, what is the right kind of thing for me? Not only to learn, I guess, what it's like to handle more like the produce side of things, but also mechanical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's a huge life skill that is very cool. Absolutely. I, and and this is the thing is, right, it's easy to look at a farm and go, oh, there's apples that need picked. There's, you know, uh, tomatoes that need picked. There's cows that need hay. That's 5% of what we do, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think most of what we do is uh, put out fires and solve problems using duct tape and bailing twine, right? It's, it's one of those things where you just, you never know day to day what's going to happen. And, you know, I came in, uh, profusely apologizing to you for being a couple minutes late. Uh, one of the, I call him a kid. He's 21. One of the guys that works for us, uh, who we love. And, you know, this is, you know, a, a, a blip in his story that we'll probably tease him about for a long time. But, uh, today put gas in the diesel tractor and, uh, Thankfully, we found it early enough that it wasn't like catastrophic or a ma- any major issue. But, you know, I, I had to run up to the, to our friends over at Robinson, uh, Robinson's equipment up there in, in Thompson. PJ, what do I do? Right. Uh, so we got all the solutions, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things you wake up in the morning, you never know what's going to happen or our animals going to be out of their fences or, you know, uh, will a, a monsoon have come through and, and, you know, have we, lost everything we seeded and, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, if you're not flexible and you're not, you know, I, I talk about rigidity, there also is the flexibility, to, you know, within that to sort of pivot and say, okay, well, I was going to do this today. Now I got to, but again, if, uh, if you've got the labor you need, and this is the problem local farms have, right. Is if you've got the labor you need, you can pivot easily. If you don't, then it's, you know, then you're talking about, oh, I'm, I'm going to be up. This is where you get the story. Oh, I was up till midnight last night and I'll be up at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. or whatever. Uh, back at it before the sun rises and, uh, you know, 
that's not a way to live. I hear you. Um, with with your model that you're you're discussing, yeah, it's and it is again, it's, it's really cool. It's very 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 intelligent. Um, I am trying to understand like if if the idea is your farm is going to like come up with the process, you're going to establish who is like the right fit from an employment standpoint, and then will you be assisting with placement at other local farms, yeah. and then like building that connection, so establishing like here's how w- within your structure and the rigidity that you're talking about here's how the payment works here's how the hours work here's how the schedule works and like h- how is it how does it look from the farmer standpoint to get on board with the process you have in place yeah so we haven't fully established that yet but conceptually right this it's going to work very much as you know they work the individuals work for us right so they'll they'll be employed through the ox shop through the 501c3 and the farmer, you know, calls us up and says, you know, and there will, again, there will be training. There will be an onboarding process for any of the farms that want to participate. Um, and we've had a lot of interest. I mean, it's been amazing. We haven't even really talked about it a ton and just the, the number of farmers that have come to us and like, this is a brilliant idea and we need this, right? This is huge. Um, you know, the idea is, you know, once you're trained and ready to go, then you call us up and say, Hey, I really need five people for the, the next week or for the next month to do this, right? And part of what our job is going to be is identifying the skills and in the individuals where that let them shine, right? And that's, I think that's the important thing, right? Is if you put the it put the wrong person in the wrong job, I mean, I couldn't do, I couldn't come in here and provide physical therapy to somebody. So why would you make me do that, right? Um, in the same way, if if somebody is not good at socializing um, or isn't comfortable socializing, why would we put them at the coffee shop, right? Um, you know, they're a perfect candidate to be out uh, working outside with either the animals or the, on the on the growing side. Uh, but on the flip side, if we've got somebody that's really great, great at socializing, we have this, we're going to have this great venue where they can either work at the counter at the store, or they can be a barista at the coffee shop, or they can restock produce and tell the customers that are coming in, oh, well, these strawberries came from this farm and, you know, the, this family, you know, built the farm and, you know, just really have a, a good understanding of what, it, it's just a matter of really, I, on, on our end, it's a matter of identifying what farms need, what skills, and then taking the individuals that we've got and letting them succeed in positions. Yep. So, um, and from a financial standpoint, then it's a pass-through, right? So um, we've got, you know, we'll hire them, we'll pay them wages for the, the time they're working. Um, and then if a farm is using them for, say they use them for 40 hours in a week, we just, we would bill them for their, their wages for those, for that 40 hour week, plus probably a service charge or whatever, just for, to help cover the staffing on our end. Um, again, uh, a lot cheaper than bringing on your own staff for, um, and, and a lot easier than hire going out and marketing. I need, you know, it's it's a qualified employee, right? Absolutely. That's in the, I Absolutely. think there's a lot of value in that. So Absolutely. That's, that's again, very, very cool. And going back to this idea of community and culture, right? Uh, then you've got a whole community of farms that are coming together through the Ox Shop that are recognizing the talent that we have here in Jaga, Jaga Lake, Ashtabula, right? Cuyahoga, that we've got in the area that, that can be used to everybody's benefit, including their own, right? Um to make something really great, 
to to create a local foods economy um, where everybody is succeeding and we're we're bucking the trend that has become you know the commercial food sector right and I think anybody that's tried to grow their own food and appreciates uh, the the effort that goes into it, oh, but sure. also the quality that comes out of it. So, yep. yep, to both of those, absolutely yes, right. Uh, we should we should go back in time here and kind of yep. like figure out how things actually got started. So, I'm going to let you take it from here and and how did things actually kick off? Yeah. So, uh, my my off the farm job, right? I'm one of those people that works on the farm, off the farm, and then we got the store and everything. So we stay busy. Um, I worked in the recycling industry. I worked for the trade association. I was based in DC uh, for 10 years. Um, and in 2016, I went to my boss and I had been traveling literally all over the world, uh, back and forth to Asia multiple times within a couple month period. And I said, I've, been, I've done my job literally from all over the world. Can I just do my job from Cleveland and move home? Grew up in Bainbridge, went to Kenston. And uh, she said, yeah, uh, I, I was a little shocked. And so I moved to Auburn. I bought 13 acres because land was the one thing I couldn't have in D.C., right? Um, I bought 13 acres. And I was like, I should do something with this land, right? I should be a responsible landowner. So I got some chickens and started researching how you take care of a chicken, right? And that led me to how our chicken, our our you know, that we consume is produced and how our eggs are produced and it grossed me out. So I was like, I'm going to produce my own chicken. And then it was like, I'll, if I'm going to do that, I might as well get a cow and a pig. Uh, and if I'm going to do that, I might as well get 10 cows and 10 pigs and sell them to my friends. Right. Um, and so that's how the farm started. It was completely by accident. I learned everything I know about farming on YouTube. Um, and along the way, uh, was told many times that starting a farm in 2017, uh, is a dumb idea. There, there are days I've heard that in the back of my head, but ultimately, uh, it's been the best thing I've ever done for myself. Keeps me young, and mostly happy. Uh, there are days when there's gas in the diesel track. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, then I met my wife and she was actually living in Thompson at the time. We hauled all of her stuff to Auburn. And then in the middle of COVID, uh, we had cows on three different properties and I was schlepping water and hay and, and checking fences and, you know, all over Auburn and, uh, and Auburn to Thompson is not, I mean, it's not like a super long drive, but it's, it's long enough. I think if you had to do it every day. Yeah. If you ask my mother, I might as well have moved to the Yukon. Uh, she's in Bainbridge still. And, and, (laughs) uh, the most devastating experience of her life is driving to Thompson. It's like, uh, it's, uh, I, I keep telling her it's almost, you know, it's basically the same trip as, as you take to the bowling alley once a week. Uh, but you know, I, you know, I was five minutes away and now I'm 45 minutes, 40 minutes away. But, um, yeah, we, and honestly, Thompson wasn't, you know, it wasn't like we looked at Thompson and said, we need to move to Thompson. We looked at every property we could find for sale, uh, in Northeast Ohio and Northwest Pennsylvania. Is that when you were recognizing that like 13 acres is not cut it? There's something big. Yeah. So we said we need to go bigger. We need to go smaller, but we can't stay the same. We were in this like weird spot where, um, the amount of effort we were putting in was not, you know, validated by what we were getting out of it in terms of joy, in terms of financial success, in terms of, um, you know, helping folks get access to quality food. Like we were, we just weren't doing anything well. Um, on those three properties and 
you know, on that in Auburn. And it's not that Auburn was a problem. It's just, you know, that's a very different world than Thompson, despite being part of the same county. And was this before you had the idea of helping people with barriers to employment? Yes, entirely. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, it was just, I was, I was having, I was trying to have fun farming, right? And this free property thing was killing me. Um, and so I looked at Don, I came home and I said, we need to go bigger or smaller. And we decided bigger. And so we just looked at every property we could find. Um, and we had our hearts set on a couple of different, we almost bought a golf course in Conneaut. And I was like, what a perfect situation. It's irrigated. It's grass, right? There are, you know, it was like the perfect situation. We were going to turn the clubhouse into our home. Um, and the, you know, where they held the golf carts was going to be our like winter feeding facility, right? It, it was 196 acres and, and, uh, that would have been a fun vision to go down. It was, that, that it was, hole. yeah, it was, um, <laughs> honestly, like it was one of those devs when we made the decision not to do that one, it was like my heart hurt a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, it was, it was one of those projects where you just look at it and go like crazy people do this stuff yeah. <laughs> and can be those crazy people. Right. It's like the, you know, the movie I bought a zoo or we bought a sure. zoo, whatever. Yep. Uh, it was kind of one of those moments and. And we, we looked and looked and looked and ultimately Don made one innocuous phone call to Western Reserve Land Conservancy and said, Hey, this is what we're looking to do. And they said, I think we might have something for you. And turns out it was our property in Thompson. And we went out there once and they were getting ready to market it and sell it and stuff like that. And it was under, you know, the deal was it was going to be under conservation easement. And we looked at it and said, this is perfect, right? It fits everything. So, you know, Part of what we're trying to do is be sustainable and, and good stewards of the land and all of that stuff. And the conservation easement requires that we do that, but it requires that whoever has it after us is, has to do that as well. Right. So I keep joking that when my kids get older and throw me in a nursing home, they can't sell off my property in five acre parcels because mm -hmm. it's now conserved as one giant piece of property. Um, they can't sell it to, you know, a condo developer or anything like that. It has to be a farm in perpetuity and that. Um, for anybody that watches Yellowstone, it's like the big trick they had, right? They, they turned it, they, they made the ranch, a con they put the ranch under a conservation easement. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, that was part of the deal when we bought this property and we are so grateful to Western Reserve Land Conservancy. They've been huge assets to us, um, along the way. And, you know, as, as the farm has grown, um, uh, out of that, we've been able to sort of move our focus to, okay, we're producing now. What do we do with it? And, the government just made me so mad with some of their policies that I was like, I'm just going to start a store. So here we are. Yeah. And in the, um, so that's just under 130 acres that you guys are on. Yeah. We're now. on 128. Yeah. And, uh, the store, it was kind of cool to like see the process through like your yeah. Instagram. It's kind of neat, like yeah. where it was and where it's into it's, it's trendy. It's really, really cool. I think you guys did an awesome job inside there. It looks, yeah. For anybody, great. for anybody that has, has ever been to Thompson Square, but has not been there for the last six months. The building is gorgeous. I, I, in my head, I believe that, you know, when we're done with it, it can be one of those buildings, like just full of character. It can be one of those buildings in Joggy County that people look at and go, this is what Joggy County is, right? Um, it, the foundation is still the original from 1839. The building burned down in 1912 and was rebuilt in 1914. Um, the red oak floors that are in that building are as hard as concrete. You know, it just gives you an appreciation for the different level of quality of lumber that, that they had back then. Sure. 
Um, and it was fun to sort of redo that. I mean, we remortared the entire basement to try and preserve that. Um, but we, you know, we, we, we resided the whole building to give it that aesthetic. We're, we're working with some local companies to try and redo the stairs and stuff like that just to make it, um, accessible, right? Handicap accessible, right? People should be able to get to their post office. And for 25 years, they have post office leases space from us in that building. And so we've got all sorts of really great ideas for that space uh, and for that building. And, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that one day folks will, you know, whether, I mean, even from Bainbridge or Chardon or Chesterland or whatever, will think to themselves that we got to go out to Thompson to visit that space, right? Because the building is just cool enough to come out um, and hopefully what we'll put in it will be a, an additional motivation to come check it out. So heck yeah, that, that is really awesome. Um, you know, your, your entire story that you're sharing so far, like, uh, what listeners don't know is that like, you also have a family. So like you're, <laughs> you're doing all these things and like, um, it's kind of reminds me of, you know, the story with King Cone and Mitch and Gail and they're like, they have, they have four kids and their, their kids are really good kids. And, and so you guys also have four kids. Yeah. Right. And that's, so you're keeping them alive. And, um, so how is that like being a dad, being a husband, you have these giant visions, like with your wife, uh, not to mention like you're keeping the farm going. How the heck are you doing? Good question. I'm not entirely, there, there are nights I, I go to sleep or like lay down in bed and I'm like, I'm not sure how I survived today, but I did. So we're going to do it again tomorrow. Um, you know, it's interesting because. You know, four years ago, five years ago, and Don and I haven't been married that long. We're three and a half years at this point. Um, and she had adopted our, our oldest two boys as a single mother, um, the special needs adoptions. Um, and so it was a package deal when I showed up and, um, she often laughs, like, I'm not sure how much beer you had drank the, you know, for that entire month that, you know, we started dating that made you think this was a good idea, but. Uh, you know, but the, it, uh, you know, our family started as first the three of them. And then I came into the picture and the boys were like two and one and a half, something like that when I picture. And so, you know, they'll never remember a time without me being part of it. But, um, you know, it was, it was certainly interesting. And then in the middle of COVID, um, we had an opportunity to adopt Carter, um, who's our three-year-old princess queen, diva queen. Um, she is, I, I think there's no, uh, no question that she runs, rules the roost, right? Uh, and then, um, and then Ellis, so Ellis was our surprise, right? We have these three wonderful, amazing adopted children. And, uh, at Christmas a couple of years ago, Don said to me, Oh, hey, um, I'm going to need you to play wingman at Christmas because my dad's like, here, have a beer. Why aren't you having a beer? She's like, so, um, she was like, I need you to play wingman. I was like, what are you talking That's about? That's how she shared with you. <laughs> yeah. And I, she gave me a bag and it had an E Christmas ornament because we sort of have this accidental alphabet thing going on. And I was, and I knew what that meant. And then, so there was a sonogram picture in there and I was like, is this like you or is this like somebody else? Like, are we adopting another one? Is this what you're telling me? Or is this like, and she was like, no, no, no. It's me and I need you to play wingman. So, uh, that's how we ended up with four. And, uh, you know, we, it's an amazing life, right? Um, our kids, 
help on the farm. The boys are getting old enough that we can send them back to take scraps to the chickens or the pigs or whatever. And, and, uh, you know, I think the big secret for us is just, you know, uh, I think in 2020, and this is not to criticize anybody's parenting, you know, do what you want, raise your kids how you want. I'm sure they're going to end up wonderful for us in order to succeed. Our kids need to be part of our lives. We, we can't be living their lives. Right. So we can't be running them around to like a thousand different events or a thousand different. So we tell them pick a sport. They get to do one sport, but like our kids do rodeo. Right. So our take them out and they ride sheep and I'm on the board of the rodeo. So it's something we do together. Right. And I think that's huge. Right. One kid played football, one kid played baseball this year. And, and so that, you know, one night a week we can handle that. Right. Or one Saturday after. Um, what are those experiences like we're actually working together on the farm that's yeah. that, Oh, it's that is like the community that you guys are building. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, the, the kids help us when I have to move the electric netting for the sheep, right? I bring our one son just loves chasing the sheep and herding the sheep and doing all that. So I tell Brantley, let's go. And I have him push him into the corner and we close it off. And so it's a team effort, right? And I can't do it by myself. I need somebody. And my five-year-old is as good a sheep herder as anybody. So off he goes, right? And with the store, uh, you know, it's so funny. We just had the 4th of July in Thompson. The store was slammed we our our one baker that supplies like cookies and stuff to the store made us little ox shop and and happy fourth of july cookies so we put them in baskets and the kids walked around the square before the parade and handed out cookies and austin who's has some developmental disabilities of his own and amazing kid right happy kid uh but he can be a little bossy and he's handing out these uh cookies right on the square and he's going go visit my store Go visit my store. Is it telling all these people to go visit his store? And so, you know, they've all embraced it. They love the big red store and cost me a lot of money in ice cream, but you know, they come up, they get some Elliot's ice cream. Uh, everyone's happy. Yeah. I, I hope it's, it's well deserved. I'm sure. Um, that's fun. So that your kids reference it as the big red store. The, they call it the big red yeah, store. It's yeah. Great. Cause I'll say I'm going that's to the great. store and they're like, which store? Yep. I'm like the big red store. Yep. Oh yeah. Can I come? Yep. This place that we're in right now, this is daddy's work for my boys. Yeah. Daddy's work. Going yeah. to daddy's work. And they, they love coming here. They'll turn this place upside down though. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, I hope like when, when your kids are there, it's not like, oh, everything comes off the shelf or they're like oh, yeah. go shopping with the baskets. And yeah, we were there Sunday night uh, and we took Ellis because we were like, oh, that's, we, you know, we had a babysitter come over. It was kind of like strangely date night. Right. And, and Mitch and Gail, I think talked a little bit about this too. Right. It's like, you, you you build in the time where you can, right? And so we got a babysitter and we were going to go out. We went out and got some dinner or whatever. And, um, but first we went up to the store and sort of, you know, re-merchandised a little, tried, tried to tweak a few things. And we've only been open two months. And so at this point we're still kind of learning like where things, if we put something here, does it sell or, you know, whatever. And so we're there and we took the baby with us just because three kids with the babysitter is enough, right? They don't, she doesn't need the the baby who is now like also running around and climbing on stuff. And like, he's a challenge in his own. So we told him, we were like, oh, that's benign enough. It should be easy. And mm-hmm, then we got mm-hmm. to the store and, and one point he had just like created a halo around him of product. And we were <laughs> like, oh, good, good Lord. Yep. Can't even, can't even take this one with us anymore. Yeah, sounds about right. I get that. Um, and he'll, he'll be almost one. 
Yeah, he'll be one Coming at the up. end of the month. Yeah, yeah so exciting. Good for you guys. That is really cool. So there's, um, if I'm calculating correctly, three boys and uh, and then your girl. Carter. Yeah, three boys and a queen. Yep, yes. queen. yep, that's good. Yeah, she, I mean, she she will be in charge. Oh, yes. Good. Yeah, well, and, and it's fun because she, um, you know, she rode her first sheep at the rodeo this year, and I, it might be her last sheep. She's pretty resolved that she does want to do that again. We'll see if it happens. I mean, she's only three, so she might, it might come back. But and there, there's a fun name for that, isn't it? Like mutton busting. Like, that's it. Yeah, mutton busting. That, yeah. that is awesome. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, but we did for her third birthday, we took her to the monster trucks, which is like, you know, I'm sure most of your listeners are like, who in the world takes their uh, three year old daughter to the monster trucks? And, now every night we have to put monster trucks on YouTube and she can name them all and she keeps telling everybody she's going to be a monster truck driver and she's going to have a go. big pink big pink unicorn monster truck. So, yep. Oh man, I, I can relate a ton. My boy should come over and 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 uh I I may, off mic I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions about mutton busting because I think that I think my boys would love to do that. It's so cool to watch. It's so cool to be put like I mentioned that I'm on the board of the rodeo, right? So that means on Saturday this Saturday morning, it's it's two hours away. It's down now near Salt Fork. But I get up in the morning. I drive for two hours. We go set up the arena and being, you know, there's four of us that are on the board that really do the, the sort of running of the show, right? And it's a youth rodeo. So these kids are up to 18 years old and um, they do everything from mutton busting and what's called goat tail tying where they're learning to, you know, run up the rope. They're doing roping and they're bull riding you know the older kids are doing junior bull riding and stuff like that and so we're running this show and to watch the talent and the skill and most importantly the discipline that Mm -hmm. these kids have and they develop as part of this youth rodeo is just something i want my kids to be a part of right um and so being able to demonstrate to them you know it's a volunteer situation being able to demonstrate to them that like I'll spend my entire day working my butt off and they see how tired I am at the end of the day. We're running cattle all day and doing all, I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong, but it's work. And, um, you know, they see that and to, for them to see the older kids and, you know, when they walk into the arena and they're showing the respect and they're taking their hat off and they're doing, these are all things that I want my kids to learn from their peers. Um, and so, you know, we'll facilitate that, but it's just the coolest thing. And, um, you know, anything you want to know, I'm happy to share because I think, uh, more kids can connect with, uh, get off again, raise your kids how you want. Kids will turn out just fine. No matter how, what path they take, everybody, there's a place for everyone. The more we can connect them with, you know, the outside world, nature and stuff like that and fewer game councils and things things like that i you know i'm i'm a firm believer that that there's this level of appreciation yep and like you said um you indicated that there's modeling behavior and then and then uh the responsibility that comes with participating in that too absolutely that's absolutely that's why we have our son in in martial arts right now it's not to learn how to kick a punch yeah it's actually to learn how to stand in line and not play with someone's hair that's in front of you a hundred percent. Even, even with, you know, with my role, which is, you know, a lot of times it's moving livestock from one end of the arena to the other or whatever. There are ways to do that that are not respectful and dignified and, and, and showing the animal, uh, or, you know, having a partnership with the animal, right? Um, you know, pull out the cattle prod and you can do all that stuff. Um, but more often than not, if you're willing to do the dance with, with the animal, they're willing to be a dance partner, right? Like they, you know, they 
are happy. It, they know where they need to go. And if you help them find that spot in a respectful, dignified way, um, it's so much easier the second time, right? And so I can demonstrate that to many of these kids who also have cows and animals at home and, and show, you know, if I go in there and I'm beating on them and wailing on them and stuff like that, like, what are we doing? Right. So, um, it's a really cool opportunity to pass information through my behavior to kids that aren't even my own. Right. Right. That's a good point. Uh, if it's okay, let's, let's go back to, um, kind of where you're at like today. So there is an event that's coming up. Yeah. I'd like you to take over, uh, and, and share with me, what is the event? Why is it important? And something that I'm really understanding is that for you with the model that's set up, you know, you and Don networking is like absolutely massive. Yeah. So, and I'm sure that plays a role into what's coming up here in August. Yeah. So this, uh, the event we're having is August, Thursday, August 17th. It's going to be at the Western Reserve Land Conservancy. I mentioned, you know, we have our conservation easement through them. Um, we won their conservation award last year, their, their Grimm Family Conservation Medal, which was just super humbling, right? Um, we're doing what we want and they're recognizing that it's, um, you know, it is, is helping the environment, right? Um, to, and get, to get that third party recognition is always fun, right? Um, but they donated their entire facility to us, which was uh, unbelievable. When Don told me that, it was like, you know, we knew we were onto something. But um, Brandon Kruskowski from Krustowski from um, Edwin's uh, in Shaker Heights, which uh, is a, a restaurant that is designed around the idea of training. Uh, folks in the reentry world. So formerly incarcerated individuals come to Brandon. He trains them up to be top level sommeliers and, and chefs and front of the house and stuff like that. Um, and has gained, uh, all sorts of notoriety for that. Uh, he almost won a James, the James Beard finalist this year, which was fun to watch that journey, knowing that he was going to be part of this event. He's going to take one of our pigs and one of our cows and he's going to turn it into five star French cuisine just absolutely amazing sort of uh, station style dinner. Uh, we're going to supply him with all the produce that he needs. It's all going to be sourced locally from here in Geauga County or, or surrounding areas. Um, and we're going to do that with a wine pairing. Um, and it's going to be a local winery uh, that's going to supply the wines. Uh, we'll also have a local brewery and um, a local cidery. So we'll have hard cider and beer and wine. Um, that is all super local, hyper local to this area. Yeah, can we can we give some shout outs to if you if you happen to know who's doing the wine and, and yeah, so it looks well. like Debonet is going to be the the winery uh, that's supplying the wines, and we're really excited about that. Um, tentatively, I think eleven three brewing here in Chardon. Oh, that's excellent, which, which is awesome. Um, you know, we're working with them; they're super new, and so still sort of like feeling out uh, their way as well. And uh, I met with them yesterday, and and just a shout out to them. Go visit their facility. It's amazing. Their yeah. beer is phenomenal. Yeah, the beer's um, good. The, their place is really good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Dave and Chelsea are, they're good people. Yeah, they are. Uh, I just, I got that sense from everything that we talked about. And they're, you know, perfect example, right? And I, I think it's a good example of what's going on in the area right now. You know, their kids are running around as we're having our conversation and they're apologizing. Like, sorry, I'm like, don't apologize. I know exactly what it's like. But, you know, there's so many examples of that. I mean, GAR, I mean, you did, you talked about Catherine, she's an example. What you're doing here is an example of that. Um, Jake and what's going on at Chips, 
uh, clubhouse and stuff. I, there's just so many young families that are like doing a lot of really cool things to create culture in this area. I just, I love it. It's fun to watch. And obviously, you know, Mitch and Gail. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, 11 three, I think is going to be the, the, the beer provider. We're really hopeful about that. And then, uh, that we can make that work. And then Brown Hoist Cider Company, uh, who I actually used to work. I used to be business partners with um, one of the owners of that company. We owned one of the properties that caused me to move out to Thompson together. And um, they started a, a hard cidery um, in downtown Cleveland in the Brown Hoist Elevator building. And um, so they're going to, again, hyper local. They get all their apples from their orchard in Hiram. Um, and it's just, uh, it's really exciting that all of these, you know, all of this stuff is, and it's, I, I think probably the coolest thing about our store is finding it all this really great high quality stuff that's produced in, in within 30 miles of, the, of Thompson. Right. Uh, it's amazing to see what talent there is. It's just blown me away. Just what people do and what they're able to do and, and just how much interest there is in getting it in the hands of their neighbors, which is why I think what we're doing seems to be working, yeah, seems to be resonating. It's, it, it's, it's a, the story is, is, is brilliant. Yeah. You're going to walk in there and, and you can't, leave with anything that's a bad product yeah that's that's exactly right so back back to the um back to the event so brandon's gonna put on this amazing meal and um you know it's it'll be a a great evening we've got a a local artist that's going to be singing and playing his guitar and and obviously we'll have a silent auction with some some local stuff just again raising money so that we can really start to kick off this this employment program in a meaningful way um if anybody's interested, uh, theockshop.org is our website, and there's information about the tickets. They're $200 a plate. Uh, but as I tell everybody, if you go to Edwin's restaurant, you're going to spend that anyway. So come out and experience the local version of it. So Yeah, because this, this is not going out to grab a bite to eat. This is experience. This is an experience. The entire experience, right. so which you're part of. That's Anyone right. that goes there is a part of the story. Get to learn more about what's going on. And the venue is just amazing, too, right? It's just, it's, it's. Everything about it is going to be just, I, I can't wait. I keep saying it's going to ruin. I'm not going to be able to eat my own beef and pork anymore because Brandon's just going to turn it into something that I'll never be able to recreate. So, yeah. so yeah. we're, we're it, super excited. You'll be hopping in a, um, like a, like a high end Tesla, right? And then, and then coming back to, uh, you know, whatever we're driving, like a, just a standard <laughs> vehicle kind of That's thing. right. But, uh, That's right. But this is going to be really fun for you to, to be a part of it. Going from a high end cool. Tesla to a, a pink unicorn monster truck. Hey, that's, you gotta have that for the kids. That's right. I get it. That's uh, right. Really cool. So the, it's really neat to know like where you're at today. I can see the vision and where you're heading. Um, it, can you actually see like five years from now? Like, can you see what things look like? I love this question because five years ago, I was a bachelor on 13 acres, right? You know, like, right. uh, it's, you know, it's, it, it's just so interesting how things evolve so quickly, right? In 2017, which is, what I guess six years ago now, if you would have told me that uh, what I started, I I jokingly called myself the official chicken farmer of the Cleveland Browns because I had season tickets, and so you know it was like my my little shtick, right? Uh, and to think about where we've come since then, right? I had six chickens and thought I was something special. Um, so I don't know where we're going to be five years from now. I do know our goals for the store. We have. Um, you know, one of the things that we haven't really talked about that I think is important to talk about is access to food, right? So I think one of the great misconceptions in the world is that, you know, food deserts or 
we work with um, Stark Fresh in Canton. We've started working with them and providing them with our meat. They they basically have gone into the more desolate communities. Um, and when I say that, I just mean there's an absence of available food. So people are having to take like two-hour trip to the grocery store and buy bus and things like that. But they put grocery stores in these communities where there's just nothing, right? And um, so we're, we're working with them to provide them with beef and pork, things like that. But there's this misconception that's only happening in, in the, you know, urban settings, right? Uh, or in metropolitan settings and, and in rural communities, it's can often be worse, right? Statistically, it is worse. Um, I think the sort of rural that we're talking about is a little different than like, you know, rural West Virginia or whatever, but sure. But there are so many kids and Dawn sees this because she's an administrator at, um, Berkshire, right? That's her off the farm job. And she deals with, um, special education, all their special education programs. And she sees it all the time, right? These kids on free and reduced lunch programs or, you know, the, the fact that a snow day might mean that a kid's not getting access to food, right? Um, and so one of the things we're trying, we're going through, and I, I keep referencing the, the challenges of the government. We're like two and a half months into our, our SNAP application, right? Getting our SNAP and WIC and um, Council of Aging vouchers, um, being able to accept those in the store. So the people, we don't want local food to be a luxury. We want it to be um, commonplace, right? So, so often people look at, they look at local products and they say, oh, it's too expensive, mm -hmm. which it's not too expensive, right? It is what it is, right? It costs money to produce this stuff. The problem is it's not subsidized. So like some of the other stuff, but there are things we can do to make it accessible to families who aren't in a position that ours is in. And, and I think my lucky stars every day that I don't have to worry about this, but I can worry about it on their behalf, right? So we can get SNAP and WIC and Council of Aging Voucher approved so that folks can come in and buy quality ground beef and they can buy quality milk and they can buy fresh eggs. They don't have to, they don't have to res rely on whatever it is that they can find. So, you know, that's, you know, in our five-year plan, I think a big part of it is making food accessible uh, to whoever needs it. Uh, we do have a pay-what-you-can stand, and we're still, like, working on that. So, but, yeah. But the goal is really just for the community to come together. If you grow some extra tomatoes, put them up there, you know, and for us, we're going to put a freezer and a refrigerator out there, and if we can throw some ground beef in there, and if a pound of ground beef changes somebody's day, then, you know what, take it. If you can afford to pay us $2 for that, as opposed to 7 which is what we charge in the store, um, then pay us $2 for that, right? If you can't afford to pay anything for it, take it, right? I'd rather your kid have good quality food today um, than, you know, that $2 go to the store because clearly that means something to you. And um, so we've got to pay what you can stand. I want that to develop. I want that to grow. Obviously, we want to open the coffee shop and the produce the larger produce market within the store those are two big things um but we want the store to become a place where people come to build community um around you know around local production we want them to come in and grab a coffee and go upstairs and you know play poker play connect four have a have a you know a play date with you know some other folks in the community or whatever just a place where people can come together and we can just celebrate. We're, we want to do educational programming on how to preserve your food. So you can come in and buy 
you know, a bushel of apples and we'll help you learn how to can it as applesauce or apple pie filling or whatever. And so that way you're not re- reliant on the cheap grocery store alternative. Yep. That, that's really, you're, the whole thing is an experience. It's really cool. So I, I'm really looking at thinking about like who, who I've seen, what I've seen kind of out there in the community and how, what you guys are doing is it's, it's a step in a forward moving direction community. You are incorporating a lot of other folks. The, when you, when you're looking at providing employment for folks that have barriers, like within that network that you're going to set up, you will have the capability. It's, it seems like to connect the produce from the local farms to get to areas that don't even have access to that because you built that network. Yeah. Like someone, if, if you and your wife just had the farm and you took care of everything from start to finish, um, and you were responsible for driving it two hours away to a community that needs this and is, is able to, um, take care of buying that, even with the structure you're talking about, um, you don't have the time or capacity to do that, but you're creating the framework that you actually will be able to do that and also give access to other farms in the area. So if they wanted to partake in doing that as well. Yeah. And, and, and I think there, you know, even if we did have the time and energy to do that, I think there is, you know, it's the, the adage, right? Teach a man to fish or give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Um, you know, I think it's important as, as we try and solve, you know, we can throw all the money in the world at a problem. Uh, but if you don't build capacity, right? My, my career started in Washington, DC in international development, and it was all about capacity building, right? So, um, trying to figure out how do we empower the individuals we're working with to take what we've given them and turn it into something bigger and better, right? And if we can't do that, um, or at least something sustainable, right? If we can't do that, then what are we doing? Right. We're, we're putting a bandaid on, you know, on, on an amputation and, and that's not okay. Right. That's, that's patting ourselves on the back and saying, we've done something good today. Thank, thank you world. We're, we're good people. Right. Whereas what you're talking about by connecting with Stark Fresh, who is solving this problem and can't and has said to us, our people that are coming into our store, our customers are asking for fresh beef and fresh pork. And, you know, through the SNAP program, they're, they, they're eligible for that, but we can't find it. I've got, I've got the solution for it. And so we're working together with them. And ironically, they said, well, you know, most of our people want like oxtail and liver and heart, and, you know, the stuff, the stuff that we have a hard time selling. And I'm like, you know what? I've got it all. Here you go. We'll bring it down to you. Right. Um, and so by working with them, we're helping to them to facilitate growth and, and sustainability, working with organizations like the Western Reserve Land Conservancy, who are looking at the problem of, of uh, food deserts or, or Stark Fresh calls it food, food apartheid, um, looking at this problem and figuring out what resources do we need and how do we get those resources. But they've got the pool of resources, right? They need the boots on the ground to help solve that problem. And one of the things that I have told a lot of people, and I, I just had this conversation with, with uh, Dave and Chelsea yesterday, like, we're curating a collection of folks who are producing locally, right? If you want local stuff, we, we've we got a list, right? Um, and so 
to the extent that we're able to help facilitate the development of something similar to Start Fresh in on Cleveland's most immediate east side, um, we're all in, right? If there's an opportunity to start an, uh, like an urban garden down there, um, we're all in. And, you know, we've worked with the folks at Tilth, which is uh, they produce compost in Cleveland out of food scraps. Um, we've worked with them on some other projects. They're going to donate to the uh, they've got a donation in the silent auction at the fundraiser. Um, but they're a resource that, you know, if there's an opportunity to start a garden, a community garden down there, like, let's do it, man. Let's, let's take what we know, which again comes from YouTube, right? But we learned some lessons the hard way and go down there and, and help some folks. But again, it's not just, I mean, it's easy to say, well, in, on the east side of Cleveland, there's a problem. There's problems in Thompson. There's problems in Ashtabula County. There's problems in Lake County. It's easy to pass it off to somebody else's community. Just look around. It's, it's sometimes your neighbor and you got to help them. Got to put some, you know, get help them get their feet underneath them so that way they can start walking again. Right. It's not, it's not always that somebody put themselves in that position. Sometimes life just gives you a swift kick and you just got to figure out how to get past it. Whether it's through this organization or something else, you know, if we can make a difference, Don and I are all about that. So, uh, Daryl, it, it, when we talked before we started, I had mentioned that what's really neat is when I talk to business owners in and around town, I understand that, um, there's like a, a secret sauce that each like individual has. And, and a lot of times that like comes out like in the interview. Um, sometimes the owner knows that or doesn't know that. And so I'm, I'm going to share with you what I see. And I'm just curious if that's something that you're like, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, but it's, it's your mastery of, uh, oh, shoot, the, the word, it's so important, capacity. It's, I think it's your mastery of capacity and understanding that. And with your ability to appropriately network, combining those two is like leading you to where you can see a vision that's way bigger than just your farm. And I think that'd be really hard for a lot of people to do. Yeah. Well, I, I think as, so as, as a team, right, you've pegged Don and I together. Um, cause I think really, so I'm the vision, right? So I, I see something and, you know, when I listened to, to Mitch talk about King Cone, right? One of the things he said was, I look for a business that's profitable while being run poorly. And I see that as an opportunity. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that just resonated with me because it's like, okay. And for me, it's that, that's not my approach at all. But, you know, I, I see, I have a really, and I've, I took it for granted for a long time. I'm really good at like seeing an, a blank space and going, okay, this is what we can do with it and then execute it at a big picture level. And then the details are a complete failure on my end. Like I am the worst details person. Like Don will tell you it's like it's like herding cats trying to get me to like put the finer finishes on something. But she's so good at that, right? And she's so good at the networking and so good at articulating the need and so good at finding ways to to motivate people to get involved and to to and it's not just with the farm and stuff like that. It's with everything. I mean, she's just one of the people and so when you put those two things together, like she and I, um, I think you hit, um, whether it's mastering our own capacity or whether, whether it's seeing the capacity in others and helping them 
find the avenues so that they can reach their, you know, full potential. Um, it's about, you know, it's, I mean, for us, it's a hundred percent about teamwork. It's one of the things I'm most grateful for in our marriage. There's a lot of, a lot of things I'm grateful for, but our ability to work together, it's not always pretty. Um, you know, there's, there's often days where we're like on opposite ends of the farm, like yelling at each other about like something. Right. Um, but five minutes later, it's like, are we friends again? Okay, let's go solve this problem, right? It's it's a thing. So yep, that's real life. Um, we we are about to wrap up here. Yeah, um, but I I have to ask the question: What is your favorite flavor, King Cone? My favorite flavor. So it's interesting because I usually I usually get a, a freeze, right? So I get usually the blue raspberry freeze. I love the like slushy with the ice cream in it. Okay, it's yeah. like it's. But I also usually end up eating at least half of like Carter is usually okay. the, the cleanup crew. Yeah. Carter's usually the, the culprit that's like, I want ice cream. And then you get ice cream and she eats like three scoops and mm-hmm. she's like, I'm just going to play with this little chair here. Right. <laughs> so, uh, I usually get some vanilla ice cream with sprinkles. Very good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, my boys are the, uh, the cherry, the cherry freeze. Yeah. Kind of slushy thing. Yeah. So absolutely. They're, they're about that. So yeah. My other, my other favorite, uh, little connection, right. Is. Mitch talked about being at Bowling Green, playing football at Bowling Green. And I was like, oh, I wonder when he was there. Turns out Mitch and I were performing on Saturday afternoons at Doit Perry Stadium together and didn't even know it. Uh, he was playing football and I was carrying a tuba. So we have that little connection. Yeah, so pretty same, cool. same time, same Saturdays. He was winning and I was uh, playing the national anthem. So. Uh, also winning. Also yeah, there winning. you go. Really cool. I, I appreciate the story. I'm excited to get this one out so, um, so folks can understand and and really hear uh, a really neat idea that's that's like here's what we got today yeah and it's gonna be really cool to follow and see how well that you guys do so it's gonna be really cool so thank yeah, you very it, much for your time and if there's any opportunity if somebody wants to volunteer some time if somebody you know if any local businesses want to get involved certainly um we'd love any support we can get it's a huge mission and and a huge undertaking so any support we can get and i can't thank you enough uh for what you're doing here. Um, I've listened, I, I told you, I've listened to a bunch of your stuff and um, we will, uh, we're going to use it as a platform to go and visit some local companies that we probably wouldn't have otherwise uh, even thought about. So Forget that's you're, do- awesome. you're doing a great thing to create a, a community here in, in the Chardon area as well. So thank you. I appreciate that. It's what it's about. Um, I saw this, what I do with the podcast as, um, you know, something that, that, you know, I should probably do from like a networking standpoint. <clears throat> but uh, once I've really understood like what collaborations come out of the stories, yeah, I like I do see it as like an obligation. Like I, I have to continue doing this. And this is kind of my part within the community. And so I appreciate you recognizing that. And, and it's gonna be really cool to see what it does for you too. Yeah, well, you have huge supporters in us. So great. Thanks. Dude, thank you. All right. Hey, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you very much for having a listen. I hope you had a lot of fun hearing about the background stories, about the businesses that you drive by every day. For more information about Chardon Biz and also more information about Chardon Physical Therapy, go ahead and visit ChardonPT.com. That's P as in physical, T as in therapy, ChardonPT.com. Also go ahead and subscribe so that you can have a listen next week.